And good morning, Gary. And good morning, Jonathan. Here we are again in Reno at the same time at the same place. Having fun podcasting. And we're joined this morning by Joe Walton. Hi, Joe. Joe. Hi. <laughs> Thank you very much for making time in what is always a busy, hectic weekend. You know, it's, it, these are insane things, these jo- you know, you know, joining together of fans. Yep. I yep. Mean, when did you, actually, you started long before I did. When did you first go to Worldcon? Oh, uh, 95. Glasgow in 95. I was oh, going right, to go yeah. to Confiction, which was 1990 in The Hague. Yeah. But I, I, I had a membership, but I didn't go because I was seven and a half months pregnant. Okay. Um, so I didn't make it because I, I didn't want him to be born Dutch. I, I thought the clogs might be <laughs> so I difficulty. Yeah. No, I, 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 I was just too pregnant to go, so I, so I didn't make it. And so '95 Glasgow was was my first one, hmm. and my first North American one was 2001 in uh, Philadelphia. Okay. It actually occurs to me that it's very appropriate that it's here at Worldcon that we're talking because this last year for your writing has very much been about, if not nostalgia for science fiction, it's love for science fiction. You know, through among others and through uh, the Tor.com stuff you're mm-hmm. doing about about the Hugos, it seems to be an enormous part of what you're talking about at the moment. I suppose so. <laughs> well, it's, it's generating a lot of other people talking about the same sort of thing. Yeah. There's been more discussion of, in the last year of how you started reading, what you started reading, when. Yes. And, and I think a lot of that is reaction to you. What I wanted to do with the Hugo posts was Mike Glyer on File mm-hmm. 770 wrote a post last year after the Hugos saying that we've only had three ties in the history of the Hugos and last year was the third for, mm. for best novel and that time always tells which of those books was the best and he said Dune and This Immortal clearly it was Dune uh, Fire Upon the Deep and Doomsday Book clearly it was Doomsday Book and I was going what? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> what are you talking about? And, and comment in his in his comment thread saying this uh-huh. which which, which I, I i posted and then i thought people don't look back at what won the hugo and did the right thing win the hugo and and i, I got the idea for this series really mm. out of that comment mm. Mm. That, that i would look at what was nominated and if there were other outstanding books that weren't nominated and that i would look at it as a year uh-huh. and, and ask people's choices for that year and then see what time has told us yeah. about those choices and when I do a final summing up post, it's it's going to talk about how often the Hugos have been right and how often they've been been wrong, mm. which is what I wanted to do. But it never occurred to me that everybody else would get into it so much because they've been very very popular, mm. and a lot of people have been commenting on them. And I think it, I think it's it's caused a lot of people to feel nostalgic, mm. um, but but also to remember. The, it's not just a case of there are so many classic books. It's that there are a lot of books. Yes. And the, they were in dialogue with each other and they came out at the same time as each other. And there's this sort of swarm of books around the ones we choose to talk about yeah. historically that mm-hmm. don't get talked about very much, but which were contextually very important. That's right. And often much better than the books that actually won that, or were right. nominated. And, and we have a kind of canon which we talk about. Mm. You know, even within SF, there is a kind of canon of books that get talked about, and there are other books that are immensely popular yeah. that don't get talked about. What I've been struck by as well is, you know, reading reading the, the series of posts, is that it's not just books which were immensely popular. Quite often it's books which were critically lauded, yeah. and yet still somehow slipped past and didn't, you know, win a major award or make yeah. a major ballot. And you're going, but hang on, that book there was at least as good or better than yes, you know. I mean, the, and then then you see the old you know, the odd anomalies like when gravity fails, getting nominated two years running or something. Yeah, and you're going, well, how did that yeah. happen then? And then there are there are sort of weird things. Where, a couple of years ago, before I started doing this, I read Nova, hmm. uh, Delaney's Nova, yeah. and also Babel Seventeen, and wrote about them. And I realised as I was writing about them that I was excited about them. And that if they were new books now, we would be excited about them or we would be talking yeah, about yeah, them. That if, even if they'd been published this year, if they'd been published this year, either one of them, it would be on the Hugo Ballad. Yeah. And we would be excited about it and it would be stirring yeah. us up because they are still exciting, literary, exciting science fictional books. Whereas an awful lot of things, you read them and you're reading them as a historical exercise. Yeah. And they don't necessarily catch you up in that kind of way. And if they were published now, they would sink. But they're classics because of the place that they held in the context 
of the time when they were written when their ideas were new. Yeah. Well, some of those uh, memorable books, the books that get the buzz at the time, have something to do with the position of the field and, and marketing and just what is needed at that time. The, I remember when the Mode in God's Eye came out, and this was going to be the big mainstream breakthrough, mm -hmm. the book that puts science fiction on the bestseller list forever. I don't think anybody reads it anymore at all. Well, a few years ago, David Dyer Bennett argued that the Mode in God's Eye should clearly have won the Hugo instead of the Dispossessed. Mm -hmm. And again, I, I was just <laughs> speechless. <laughs> Because, because to me, the, the Dispossessed is an enduring classic that people are going to be reading in 200 years' time, whereas The Moving God's Eye is a mildly amusing book with good aliens that I kind of liked. Uh -huh. yeah. um, and I, I reread The Dispossessed regularly, and I think I've read The Moving God's Eye maybe maybe three times, but probably only twice. Wow. And which has been significantly hit by the Suck Fairy. That's right, absolutely. Right yeah. 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 Do you think we need to recanonize the field? I don't think it's that we need to recanonize it. I think it's that we just need to keep stirring up the muck, <laughs> stirring up what is at the bottom, and not not forgetting. I, I don't think we need a canon. I think no. what we need is a pile of stuff. Yeah. And, <laughs> the, the and, but not everybody's pile is going to be the same. No, but that's fine. Yeah. That's that, that's fine. It's still all in dialogue. Hmm. I, I mean, when I'm at my normal. Tor.com posts, which my, my brief for that is to say smart things about books that nobody else has thought about for years. Mm -hmm. Okay. And when I write those, there are always people who say, oh, Icehenge, how I love Icehenge. Mm -hmm. And then there are also always people who say, I've never heard of this book. You make it sound really interesting. I'm going to go look for it. Mm -hmm. Every time yeah. when, I, when I write about an interesting book that nobody else has thought about for years, I get both those responses. And I think if we keep looking at things and don't don't forget about them, then we don't need a canon. Or I mean, we, we'll have a canon anyway because canons fall. Well, right. we, we we look for patterns. Yeah, and that's what you know the canon is. I mean, it's unfortunate that it's unfortunate that the canon tends to get formed by one group. I think a little bit. I don't feel it too strongly. There's, there's that element of you, you want more diversity yeah. in view to make it mean more. But you also need to have it as a manageable thing so that you've got some kind of picture of what's we, happening. We've been putting together a collection of my essays, mm -hmm. um, not the Hugo Posts. Though it's possible that we might do something with the Hugo Posts at a later time, just mm -hmm. because they've been so mm -hmm. popular and people are so interested in them that, that we might put them together or something, I don't know, but I haven't really got that sorted out. Yeah. But we're putting together a collection which will be out next year, which is going to be called What Makes This Book So Great? <laughs> uh -huh. And and it's it's going to be 100 and, 125 of my first 500 Tor.com posts. Okay. Okay. And when Patrick Patrick and Teresa came up to Montreal for a weekend and they stayed with me and we worked on, we, we, we had everything printed out and we went through what are we going to put in, what are we going to mm -hmm. not put in, what are we going to choose. And Patrick kept saying, you know, nobody's ever written seriously about this before. Yeah. And one, one of his examples is Cherry. Yeah. Is that Cherry is a writer, she's won a lot of mm -hmm. Hugo, she's won a lot of awards, she's got a lot of attention, but nobody writes seriously about her. She's not somebody that, that there's been a lot of critical work yeah. done on. And another one was Boojold, who again, a yes. huge, mm -hmm. yeah. popular writer, yes. with an awful lot of fanish stuff written about yes. it, from a, from a sort of gossiping about the characters kind of point yes. of view, yeah. which I've also done. But nobody's really written about Boojold critically very much, mm. you know. And, and Patrick kept saying this about different yeah. things that, I, that I'd done that with, that that they, they ought to go in the book because nobody would written about these in a serious way. And I think there's an awful lot of what you do in Locker's Gurry mm -hmm. where you write about the new hot books, this year's mm -hmm. books, in, in a serious and interesting way. I'm trying to put them in some kind of context. But, but you, you've only read them once because That's you've true. just got them and they're right. new. And there's no sort of reflective look at things and the only reflective no. look that things get is when they are canonical and mm. then so so like I've written a post about um, about Watership Down and there are you know people have written PhDs on Watership mm. Down it's like so written mm. about whereas whereas um, Down Below Station no yeah. you mm. know so so th that was our choice when we were deciding what to put in the book was things that hadn't been written about so much 
Well, um, and that's the, the academic study of science fiction responds to the canon. It doesn't create it. It responds yeah. to what seems to be in the anthologies. I mean, yeah. I'm really glad that the Wesleyan anthology of science fiction is there because it has a lot of good things in it. But, the, but otherwise, if you look at the critical, the academic critical literature, it's going to you know for years it was going to be basically uh, you know Le Guin and uh, Delaney and and, and Dick, and uh, and now they've discovered. Neil in China, wonderful. So, I mean, this is what I talk, when I talk to the editors of these journals, they're getting, they're getting uh, lots of submissions on three or four of the most popular authors, and very few people going back and looking at anything prior to 2000, really. I was reading a book uh, for, for a university press I, I do some reading for. I just read a, a manuscript about John Brunner, which yeah. is utterly fascinating. And I had not thought about rereading. Re you know, Brunner's one of those people you think, well, he, he was like John Dos Passos. He, at that period in history, he did something very important for science fiction, and it's probably unreadable now. Turns out it's not. Oh, it's Turns not. It holds up really well. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I love Brunner. He's one of my favorite writers. He, also, the first writer I met when I got into fandom. Oh, really? Yeah, in my first five minutes in fandom, I met John Brunner. <laughs> I nearly fainted. I went to an Easter con uh, with... with the guy who ran the science fiction bookshop in Lancaster and I was going to help out on his table and he basically dragged me along and I, I was at registration and I registered and, and he turned around and he said hi John and it was John Brunner and, and John Brunner said are, are you doing anything for dinner and, and I went out for dinner with John Brunner <laughs> in my, uh, John Brunner, Colin Greenland Caroline Mullen uh, and a couple of other people uh -huh. and, and me who was, I, I was like 22 and th th that was my, my first evening in fandom, and <laughs> this was a yeah. great great introduction to to the. But but he was already a, a complete icon to me. You know, he was a complete favorite. He'd been a favorite of mine for years. And um, a few years ago, I was guest of honor at a con in Cambridge, a Unicon, and I suggested that we did a panel on Brunner's Four Futures: mm -hmm. Stand on Zanzibar, Sheep Look Up. Jagged Orbit and Shockwave uh, Rider, Shockwave Rider. Mm. and we, we, we did a really wonderful panel on those four books and, and they're all set in different versions of 2010 mm -hmm. and how the future is different and what he'd got right and what he'd got wrong and there was one huge thing Paul Kincaid was on that panel and, mm -hmm. and uh, Ian Watson and, and um, Caroline and we, none of us thought to say that the Cold War wasn't still going on Mm. Yeah. because it isn't still going on yeah. but in everything else that was being written at the time when he wrote those books that were set 50 years ahead or indeed the case of Moting God's Eye 600 years ahead mm. yeah. the Cold War was still going on Yes, and it was the, the norm in science fiction yeah. was that the Cold War would continue but Brunner saw that it wouldn't Yes, and had it gone mm -hmm. and, and there, there are loads of things that, but even aside from looking at it as, as prediction which is not really what science fiction is. As as things to read, they still hold up really, really well. The experimental, uh, cut up methods, the sort of things that uh, people are still doing today, but they're not off putting. It's not like reading high modernism. Nobody really wants to read Dorothy Richardson anymore, for example, because it's just too hard, whether it's any yeah. good or not. <clears throat> but but that is somebody who had mastered both the uh, the sort of pulp craft of writing a lot of fiction and, 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 and literary fiction. Yeah. One of the things that stunned me in, in early in his career in the 50s, before he started spending time writing novels, he calculated that he could actually make a decent living if he only wrote eight novels a year. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of world must you live in to think you can do that? Yeah, yeah. he, he was still saying that in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's read ace doubles and this sort of yeah. thing. But, uh, yeah, they weren't novels of the length that we would no. think of as novels, I mean, that's so why we've still got the Hugo definition of novel is something over 40,000 words. It's mm. really... Yeah. And really a novel now is something over 80,000 words, and 80,000 words mm. would be short. Mm. Life loads 82,000 words. Yeah. And that's that's really short for a modern novel. Well, I mean, the Corey, Doctorow's first two novels were really around short. 60. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, and, and, and I kind of have this feeling that we're that publishing is losing its fascination with enormously long books. Mm -hmm. They're finding it less... You know, you know, I remember writers I knew being asked to lengthen books. Mm -hmm. There was an apocryphal story, I've got no idea if it's true, that Daw asked Tad Williams to lengthen to Green Angel Tower. Gosh. Which, is, which, which if, you're, if you know the book, is a rather staggering thought because... 
It's too it's long. It's <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's a very long fantasy. It's novel. a very long fantasy, you, and I've I found as I've aged, certainly I keep I now read books and going, this is good, and it could have been a third shorter. Often, and I sometimes read old books. Mm. And think if this was written now, it wouldn't be a 120-page book, it would be a 600-page book. And I can see the 600-page book that it would be, Mm -hmm. and it would be so inferior to what we actually have here. Uh, I thought that when I was reading Heinlein's early novels last year when the biography came out, um, Methuselah's Children, I can see the modern novel Methuselah's Children would be this size. Um, And it Mm -hmm. would be a much weaker novel than, than the novel we have, which just doesn't stop. Why do you think that happens? I don't, I don't, I'm, not, I, I'm not convinced that it's just simply a commercial thing. I think it's fashion. Really? Yeah, I, th- I, think, I think there is... A, the, people have a desire to have characters in their books, yeah. uh, which seems to be a, a modern desire, yeah. because in pulp, often you don't have characters, they are just sort of... Icons moving mm. through the the story. Yeah, there's a lot of plot yeah. and not a lot of character. So 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 then you get you get writers like Le Guin and you've got books with characters in and it's it's wonderful. And then you get people who could actually be perfectly good pulp writers, yeah. but they're trying to write characters and they're not particularly good at it. And you yeah. end up with things that are too long yeah. because they've tried to put people's terrible childhoods yeah. and traumas oh. in where. It would be a much better book if the people were just hucking and slashing. Yeah, it depends on. Uh, it certainly depends on the character you're talking yes. about. Yes, I think you're right. A, a lot of readers, uh, if you encounter a, a, a character like Shebek, it's somebody who's complicated. You want to spend time with. Them. Yes. You don't really care at that point how long the novel is because. Yes. You want. You want to. On the other hand, you'll have. Uh, you're right. Somebody. Uh, who has a really uninteresting character, and then not only is this character uninteresting, but we have to learn about the uninteresting background yes, of this uninteresting that's character. Right. That's right, yeah, that's right. And they were abused as a child, and it was terrible <laughs> <Yeah>. for them. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, uh, no, I, I've run across that so often, it's a cliché. Yes. And, yeah. and it just gets bogged down, where if the plot just kept moving, mm-hmm. and you didn't have all that, it would be, it would be better. One um, of the things I have to keep in mind in reviewing when we're talking about the length of a book is that a lot of readers, especially with the summer summer season blockbuster things, I mean, I was, the Neil Stevenson thing, is really a summer beach read. It's a, it's a good suspense thriller. But most of the people reading these books are going, if they like the books, are going to want to spend time with them. They're not going to complain about the length. Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Mm-hmm. I had people, uh, I've talked to any number of people who said, I could have gone on for another hundred pages of that. That was utterly fascinating. Yeah. Um, but... When we're reviewing it, you're thinking, okay, this is 900 pages long and I have to have it done by Tuesday. So you want to get through the characters. And you have to keep in mind that the people out there who may want to spend a month reading this book yes. are going to thoroughly enjoy it yes, uh, in a way that you won't enjoy it if you, if, you're just, if you just have to read it now. I think that's a basic problem with reviewing anyway, whatever length mm-hmm. it is, that you'll have to read books that are not, you're not reading them in an ideal way because mm-hmm. they're not, the book that you want to read. It's, it's why I don't review, or one of the reasons why I don't review, I very seldom review mm-hmm. new books, because I don't really think it, it, it does the book justice. It, well, I, I think if it's, it comes down to the two stars, three stars, four star system, mm-hmm. automatically you're not doing anything any justice. But if you give me a pile of random SF, mm-hmm. yeah, and ask me to review it by Friday. I can read it by Friday, and I can write about it by Friday, mm. but I'm not really going to like some of it. Mm. I'm not going to like some of it, because it's not going to be my kind of genre, it's going to be vampire stuff. And, well, yeah. And, yeah. and I'm not going to like some of it, and some of it I would like if I read it more slowly and, and gave mm. it time to digest, and some of it I need more time to think about than yeah. Friday. And sometimes there are books that are... That are perfectly nice books, but which there's really nothing to say about. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, and uh, that was kind of fun. It's not a review, <laughs> uh, and there's, there's no meat there that you can actually talk about. Well, and that uh, is, <clears throat> we get complaints uh, every now and then from very popular authors or <clears throat> editors <clears throat> or agents of very popular authors that we tend not to review. And my reaction is pretty much the same as yours. Uh, the readership is established. They want this book. What the review does is announce the book is there. Yes. But nothing beyond that is going to inter- interest anybody. 
Yes. Uh, if somebody doesn't want to read uh, uh, an urban vampire novel, a review is not likely to convince them. Or, or even something like, say, a new uh, Honor Harrington novel from David, yes. David Weber. Yeah. If yes. you like Honor Harrington novels, you'll read yeah. all of them and that's it. And right. But as I just said about gossip about the characters with reference to Bujo, yeah. yeah, that's what people do about those books. What what those people want to know is is a hint that that they're going to be going to a certain planet, yeah, yeah, or that, that somebody's brother is getting married, yes. and they'll be, you know, that's exciting, yeah, gossip. It is, it is, and that's not a review. No, no, it's not. <laughs> um, but but that that's the kind of review that you can get. I'm. I'm I'm trying to write about Vinji's Children of the Sky at mm-hmm. the moment, and mm-hmm. I keep finding myself slipping into that. Yeah, you know that mm-hmm. I, I, I want to say, oh, you'll be so excited because because we see Scroiber's brother. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, if if you love a fire yeah. upon the deep, you will be. Yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's, that's I'm, I'm finding it quite difficult to write about because yeah. that's 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 the thing that keeps wanting to come yeah. out. Well, is this something you find difficult because it's a, there, there's a, a, a rhetorical book uh, that an old professor of mine uh, wrote on the question of, of agreeing, uh, the question of um, saying something positive. His, his basic point was <coughs> that at least in the English language we have an enormously rich and varied vocabulary of of criticism and insult and denigration <laughs> and a much smaller vocabulary of praise and appreciation. Oh, yes. <laughs> and so if you, if you come across a book that's really, really good and you don't yes. want to sound like... Because if, if readers like me... If, you, if, don't, if, you, you don't want to just keep saying it's brill. Yeah, it's exactly, brill. Exactly. <laughs> that one was really good. This one's really, 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 because I, when I see blurbs like that on a book, it tends to usually tends to turn me off anyway. Because yeah. you can always but find that. I actually, one of the things I had a lot of fun with in Among Others was actually having that kind of review. Ursula Gwynn's The Wind's Twelve Quarters Part Two is the best single author collection in the world of all time ever. Right. <laughs> you know, which, which, which is which is absolutely my honest opinion. But you know, it's. Say when you're 15 about a book. That That's yes, what I love absolutely. about it. It's a completely unmediated Thomas Hardy could have learned a thing or two from Zelazny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really did have a lot of fun doing that voice. Oh, I imagine. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's what resonates. I mean, uh, because I suspect. We, we're, we're not far off in reading we're, generation. Yeah, no, we're, I, I was born in '64 as well, so yeah, we're yeah. almost exactly the and same. And we age. probably encountered a lot of the books at around at the, the same, same time. time. Yeah. And when you're hitting those books, and you are 13, 14, 15, mm. 16, they make an enormous impact. And you don't have a critical vocabulary. That's right. Uh, and really, all you want to do is say, "You have to read this book right now because yes. it is the best book ever read." Written. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. Uh, the thing that's interesting. I'm not of that generation, and I, I wondered about because I suspect the response to among others was, in some ways, like the response to to, to your columns, but you're making people think about their first. Well, I was worried, and and some reviews have said mm-hmm. uh, that they wonder how young people will take to that book who haven't read all this stuff and didn't mm-hmm. encounter it at that age, and and that maybe this is a book for forty six year old science fiction fans, <laughs> um, which is a, a interestingly precise demographic. <laughs> Um, But uh, actually, I've had loads of mail and run into young people who love it. People who are now teenagers or who are now young adults. Uh, Harry Turtledove's daughter yesterday was raving to me about it. And she's, I don't know exactly how old she is, Mm. but, you know, she's still sort of college age. Um, And I've seen other reviews online people who are that sort of age and who who really love it so you obviously don't have to have encountered it in that particular precise no timing. Yeah. <coughs> yes or, um, or, or being essentially alienated from your parents and off yeah. the voice. Um, that's another very specific but i've but. i've seen i have run into people who've, who've read the book who want to talk to me about their experiences of reading harry potter yeah. Because mm. because they think that I will be very interested in the way they came to through Harry Potter to other books and yes. all of this kind of thing. And I, I, I find it very hard to say to them, I've read the first three Harry Potter books and I thought they were pretty good, but yeah. I wasn't excited <laughs> enough to read the rest. <laughs> 
But uh, uh, that, that, that's an unusual reaction to have to Harry Potter because yeah. most people either love it or hate it. Whereas I, oh, it, was, it was pretty good, you know. No, it was, it was similar to your. I thought the, the first book was really quite good. Yeah. And the second one was okay, and then they progressively seemed to get worse until I got bored and I stopped yeah. reading them. Well, the first three were out when I read them. Okay. Um, and I just didn't. I mean, my son yeah. has them. Yes. And he he read them all when they came yeah. out, but I I've never actually sort of picked up the rest of them. But but for a lot of people, it's been a gateway in. Yeah. And that's great. Yes, it is. Any gateway. And one of the other weird critical responses is that people interviewing me mm-hmm. keep asking me to recommend one classic science fiction book that their readers would want to read. Mm-hmm. And I can't think how they can have read among others and think that I would be able to recommend <laughs> exactly one, one book. Because it, 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 is, it is basically a book of reading indiscriminately. Yes. Yes. And, and forming tastes by reading indiscriminately. And it talks about their process. I think that's why it probably resonated. You know, if, you, if you take yeah. all, unplug all the titles in the book, in the, yeah. In the book yeah. and you just look at the process, that's obviously, I would imagine, what Harry Turtle Dove's Daughter is responding yes. to. Uh, and that makes a, a lot of sense. But then you also, I mean, as you read, you, I don't know if it's true for you, but for me, the whole concept of having a favourite book or a best book. Yes. You know, you know, I have to recommend this book to you because it's the number one book in the world. What is your... Yeah. You know, I, I hear my, my nine-year-old daughter has her own book club that right. she started this year. Wonderful. And they got four or five of them sitting around big leather chairs in our front room surrounded by books talking very seriously for a couple of hours about, you know, about, the, about the latest Meg Cabot novel they've read or something which is fantastic which I love. Um, and they're identifying with that whole process that we're yes. talking about. They're, that's that same sort of response and I think it's sort of you can see it in the way they read but you know you can't. You can't. I'm drifting now. They they don't. They don't just draw back. I think. Well, I mean, I think the central point you're getting at is that the specific titles, when you're when you're talking about discovering the process of reading as a as a recreational activity outside of school, something you do mm. in defiance yeah. of, of of school almost. It doesn't make any difference what the specific titles are. Yeah. And I suspect that's what part of the response is. Yeah. Because I like I say I was I was. Well into adulthood by the time of uh, the, the, the things mm-hmm. we're talking about in the seventies, but but there, there you know there's a baseline at some point everybody discovers Tolkien, uh, and and that becomes part of everybody's experience. Yes, and there's also as you say that wonderful voice. There's that you want to be able to talk about books like that now, and you're too grown up to. Yes, it's not any fun. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I, I sometimes do anyway. But well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. well, no, when you love a book, it's fine. But you're also sitting there saying, you know, you, you're, you're a mature reader, and if you say this is a great book, you're going to really love it. That's fine. But but you also understand that it's not. This is the greatest book ever written. Yes. And you must read it, and it will be brilliant for you. And, and, and the thing is, as well, that there's this time thing where it feels like it's the greatest book ever written, but you may not feel like that about it in six months. Mm. And that, that's what I was saying about reviews, that you've got to mm-hmm. get done by Friday. That you, you've got this initial yeah. enthusiasm about a book, you, the, the initial falling in love with the book. And then, you, you know, <laughs> you, you have a long-term relationship with this book, maybe you get a little disillusioned, right. you know. Um, There's also the problem of falling in love with a book and then realising you have 500 pages to go. <laughs> Is the affair going to last? Yeah. Well, or, or even, sort of, I loved you in January. Yes. And it's December now. That's right. And I just realized that, you know, frankly, you know, you're really kind of irritating. Yes. And that's, yes. that happens that too happens often. as well. Yeah, no, oh. that, that certainly, certainly happens. And, and where you come back to a book that you love, the, the whole suck fairy thing, mm. you come back to a book that you loved and it isn't the book that you loved anymore. Yeah. Um, and you can remember loving it, but you're not loving it now. Um, well, yeah. Also, were you in the room at the panel discussion at BlizzCon? No. No, no it, was, it was at ReaderCon. No. Well, anyway, there was a session that I was on sometime earlier this year about, among others. Oh, really? And the reactions uh, were people of different uh, ages and different backgrounds. Uh, and what they were, what they tended to be doing was plugging in, first of all, uh, their own titles for that. But then also, once she gets involved with this group, plugging in their knowledge of those people. Yes, yeah. everybody has been in a group of trying to discuss science fiction where there's a young guy saying, Philip K. Dick did it better. <laughs> well, not listen to anything. Anybody else say anything about any novel? And everybody had met that guy. Yes, uh, yes. So, so, so there's a sense of not just reading, but there's a sense of talking about reading that goes yeah. on in that, which is fascinating. Because that, in 
in reality, I didn't meet people like that until I was a lot older. Oh, I, sure. I didn't. I didn't have a book club like that uh, when when I was that age. So that's, that's largely based on uh, when I started to come into fandom and the, the Preston Science Fiction Group, which used to have fortnightly meetings mm. that I used to go to, and and uh, yeah. But but those though there always are people there. <laughs> there right. are always are people just like that. But um, what, that, what that creates with the, with the, is the problem of. When you're going to recommend a book, or enthusiastic about recommending a book, and you've got a, a varied group of people who are clearly approaching the genre from different angles, and some of our occasional readers, and you say you must read this book, you'll like it. When somebody says that to me, I say you don't know me that well. So how do you know I'm going yeah. to like it? Uh, actually, I think it was Teresa or somebody way back, uh, probably a year before it came out, was pressing, pressing among others on me, and said you will like it, and I thought. And she and she explained why because she figured out what I like from, yeah. from what I've written, uh, and if that, that's fine. Uh, but I'm always hesitant to uh, when people, push a book on, foist a book on someone. When people ask me to recommend a book for them to read, a science fiction book for mm. them to read, the first thing I always say in response is, "What do you like? Yeah. What mm. What do you enjoy?" And if, if somebody will give me triangulation points, I can probably suggest something that they haven't read that they will like. Well, yeah. But but if I don't know what they already like, I don't have any idea. Mm -hmm. um, and I was trying to write, when Among Others came out, or before it came out, I was trying to write something to put in my Tor.com SIG file to say that it mm. would be out and that... And, and you can normally have a sort of little brief summary of a book, a sort of three-word summary that you can put in something mm. like that. And I just couldn't come up with anything. And that's why it says, if you like this post, you will like it. Because <laughs> because um, the posts that I'm writing, if you like those, you will like the book. You know? I, I have and, to say, having read your reviews on Tor.com and then picking up Among Others, yeah, it felt like it was just continuing on a little yeah. bit. And yeah. you're going... I've, I've read you rave about the book just like that. Yes. yes. And that's, that makes it sort of... It, it almost makes the, those essays some metatextual commentary on the novel. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's also this, this slightly weird effect I get where people read among others and they've been reading the columns and yeah. they, they sort of know me a little bit. Maybe they're in my life journal. And they read the book and they think that I'm their new best friend. Oh, and of course, I don't know them any better yes. than I did mm -hmm. before. Yes, but yes. but suddenly they're signing their emails to me, love, yeah, and, and that going... kind of thing, <laughs> and that's 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 a little odd. Yes, it is. Um, mm. But but I, I think that's what I deserve for writing something that is so close to my own life. Yeah. Um, and it was a lot harder than writing normal books with normal characters. It was it was difficult to mythologize my life in that in that way. Sure. It was it was a it was a weird thing to do. Um, and uh, I think I made it work, but it's... it's. I think, well, I mean, yeah, because I, some of the people on this uh, panel I was on, one of them was Greer Gilman, who adores the book, but some of them were talking about the fantasy elements of it apart from the literature. Mm -hmm. okay, how does the magic work? What, what, what is, in other words, the implication that there's a whole epic fantasy trilogy in the background yes. of this. Yeah, I wanted that. I wanted that implication. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I've always been really interested in what happens after those stories, mm -hmm. you know, after you save the world. And in those children's books where the kids go into another world, Narnia and, and Alan Garner and these mm. things, and then they come back into this world and they've got to lead everyday lives. And I've, I've always been really interested in that. And I wanted to imply a magic system I mean, I, I do know how the magic works in the book, or I couldn't have oh, yeah. written I mean, it's, it. It's, it's but but consistent. it's not something where you could write down rules and roll dice on them. But I know exactly how it works. But I wanted to, I wanted to have it implicit mm. that there was all this stuff right. there, um, and that that. But that you weren't going but, to go there. Anyway, no, I wasn't so going I was... to go there. I, I thought I was when I started <laughs> writing well. it. I, I thought, oh, yeah, I thought I was going to have a description of what had happened. When, when they saved the world the first yeah. time. I thought I was going to write about that. And then I, I found that I kept not doing it. And I, I, I eventually I was sort of looking at the shape of the book and I thought, well, where is this going to go? And I realised it wasn't. And I thought, okay, then, right, yeah. it's not. Um, so, you know. Well, it's... Uh, the other thing that, was, that came up which was fascinating is 
the third aspect of it, I guess. I mean, first of all, there there is that odd thing of writing a fantasy novel about a science fiction reader, which I don't think anybody ever thought of before. <laughs> um, and and then there's there's the the sort of literary discussion that goes on, and then there's this literal classic coming of age thing, and I think that may be where you get some of these people falling in love with you. These are for a generation that had not grown up on a portrait of the artist or something. Uh, there's a his book has a wonderful ending. I mean, she's going to EasterCon, but she's virtually saying, I'm going off to forge in the smithy of my soul, the uncreated conscience of my race. You might as well yes. be Stephen <laughs> Dedalus. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yes, yes. yes I, I think it ends up with, I'll, I'll always belong to a library. Maybe one day I'll belong to a library on other planets. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's just really, um, it's that. I mean, it is precisely that. Yes, yes. And you just, yeah, you, you wish her well. Um, Somebody said that it was unusual to write about a female intellectual coming of age, that female coming of age novels are emotional and relationship oriented, whereas male ones can be intellectual, hmm. and that there are very few novels that are about female intellectual coming of age. And I, I hadn't thought of that at all. No. Um, it, it hadn't crossed my mind, but, no. but I thought that was very interesting. Mm. Uh, it is very interesting. Uh, biographies, yes, but... Uh, yeah. but Autobiographical novels. Well, autobiographical novels are fairly rare anyway, mm, yeah. um, certainly in the field. P possibly for a good reason. Yes, for, for, for yeah, a very it, good it, reason. Yeah. And I would also say it, it, it's not a bad thing that, among others, is a very efficient, tight novel rather than perhaps a sprawling and. Yeah. And also, I, I wrote it 30 years after the events of mm, the novel. They mm. were not. They were not things that are still sort of burning issues in mm. my life. Yeah. You know, um, I, I had enough distance, I think, to do it. Whereas I think a lot of people using autobiographical stuff, they're just not far enough away from what it is. It's very alive for them. It's very... They feel very strongly, but it's hard to get the artistic difference distance mm. to mm. make that come across yeah. as, as art. Yeah. And that was one of the things. Normally when I finish a book... I ask on my live journal for, for people to read it. And I've got some people who, who read it anyway, yeah. But, but I find new people who haven't yeah, read other things of yeah. mine or have only read some things. And, and I get people with different ages and genders and, and perspectives. And I sometimes try to find people with specific knowledge for, mm -hmm. for various things. I, I, I had several military people read uh, Half a Crown. Mm -hmm. Um, and give me very good advice about torture and detention and things, you know. But, but that's what I normally do, and I can normally find whatever I want out of the couple of thousand people who read my live journal and mm -hmm. who would be happy to be to read a book of mine. I can usually find whatever I want, but for among others, I couldn't because I couldn't find you're anybody. The only consultant. No, I couldn't find anybody to read it who didn't know me, ah. and I had to I had to have it read by people who didn't know me to make sure that it worked right. without the context of me. Right. Mm. Because if it only works if you know me, that's not a book. No. Right. And that's what I really had to check. So I, I had to actually ask Patrick to find people to read it, pe people who did not know me, yeah. to read it, um, to make sure that it that it worked. Um, and and that's the one thing that you can't find from your own journal. Yes. People that do not know you. Yes. And so so that was a weird thing mm. about it being autobiographical as well. Um. So when you, once you finish the essays, what's next? Well, I'm I'm going to keep on writing on on tour.com, you know, doing stuff about old books and and so on. But I'm I'm also writing a fantasy novel about the Congress of Vienna. Okay. Um, which uh, I'm going to write, and I, I want to write a science fiction novel, but I keep getting stuck on it because it's so hard. Um, and uh, I, I, I thought about writing an Among Others sequel. I, I actually, th but 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 that is too difficult for a number of complicated reasons mm -hmm. um, to to do it. It's it, it's largely because because I had her fine fandom when she was fifteen, and she's mm. going to the Easter Con and all that. Whereas in reality, my life was very different from that, and I, I didn't. You know, all, all the good things in the book are made up. Yeah. Um, you know, um, so so I couldn't really use my own experience to to write about her later life. Yeah. And yet, when I think about her later life and I think about writing it, it becomes a Mary Sue. Yeah. Um, mm. 
and uh, it, it just really does and, and I can't do it yeah. uh, which, which is a pity in some ways because I've got some interesting ideas for things to do with that so if, if I figure out a way of doing it I will but it would be a very different book and a lot of people who like among others wouldn't like it yeah um, well fandom is a difficult if, if you actually were to get into her experiences that seems to be a tough nut for most writers to crack there's there's not a great deal of good fiction that this is an absolutely wonderful complex bizarre world that we're yes. in this weekend uh, and yet to write about it coherently without turning it into some kind of a romantic cleft or well one of the really interesting things about fandom is that it takes place outside of time. I mean, convention fandom. Mm -hmm. This Worldcon connects on to last year's Worldcon mm. a lot more than it connects connects on to last week. Yeah, that's true. Yes. And that that in itself is very strange and weird and magical. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, it, it, and interesting and. No, it would be it would be very difficult. I'd either have to use real, as you say, Romana Clef. I'd have to use mm -hmm. real people, or I'd have to make up typical people, and I'd have to be writing about real conventions. And one of the ideas that I had was I would write a book that is set twenty five years in the future of now. Mm -hmm. Okay, when she's seventy, mm. um, and she would be on the moon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and the the interesting question of fairies on the moon, which uh, <laughs> is an interesting question. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I realised I'd have to make up twenty five years of future science fiction <laughs> because she would have read it yeah. she'd yeah. still be reading it okay? that would be yeah. fascinating <laughs> and, 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 no but how could you do it how could, it, how could yes, I it just possibly, becomes a silly kind of thing doesn't it yes. how could I possibly do it <laughs> yes. I, I, I could predict that Charlie Stross is going to write two books every year for the next 25 years yes. yeah. mm. but, but what good does that do yeah. um, I, can't, I can't possibly talk about the specific future of science fiction as a literary field no um, well, well, not without actually, not not starting from here. I can't. Yeah. I could completely make up new writers. Oh yeah. And, and write mm -hmm. about them, you know, on another yes. planet. I, I could I could make up somebody's entire the way that Delaney does at the beginning yeah. of Stars in My Pocket. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that'd be fun, but I hard, um, <laughs> but really cool thing yeah, to do. But it, that's a possible thing to do. Delaney's done it. Yeah. But but to, to start from where the field is now and predict twenty five years more of it, I yes. think I think it's impossible. And also, it would look stupid, as any near future novel looks stupid yeah. a few years down the line, yes. anyway. But it would look even more stupid than mm. normal. Mm. Uh, I, I just don't think that's that's something that that it's possible to do. Well, it's it's it's, it's, it's you're doing it as a critical act. You're saying uh, you're creating a number of possible futures for science fiction based on what you suspect it ought or ought not to do and there'd always be that so, so, so predicting I don't think is, is is possible of course it's not even rational to think about it speculating on where it would go uh, is, is, is different and is, that's fascinating to me mm -hmm. there's a story by Robert Charles Wilson which is sort of in the same emotional vein as, as among others and I think it's the one called Divided by Divided Infinity, by Infinity where he's yeah. in the bookstore where he finds the stone pillow yes in the bookstore right. yes and all these yes. great 50s um, books that never got written by Alfred Bester <laughs> yes 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 and then it gets weird yeah, yes yeah, great, great story great story but it's, um, it's a great hook for a story for any science fiction reader because we've all had that experience yes. there's a point at which you're in your favourite bookstore or your, your science fiction bookstore is just one you go to and you realize that you found all the books you're ever going to find by that writer because mm. he's dead yeah. or she's dead yeah. and then you find a new one yes yes, and, and it's actually a book that you've already got with a different variant well usually title. that happens <laughs> um, but, but sometimes no sometimes you just missed it I, I missed uh, Roger Zelazny's Eye of Cat it mm. never had a UK edition ever I didn't know it existed I knew that I'd read all the Zelazny there was and he was dead and I mm -hmm. wasn't looking for any more and I had missed it, or, or it had been in an alternate universe, possibly, yeah. uh, one or the other. Um, but it was it was a delightful surprise. I was I, was, yes. I almost yes. didn't read it actually, I, I, because I was so pleased to actually have it. Yeah. Um, to, to sort of preserve the possibility of reading it. That's right. Yeah. I, I actually have some books that are the last book written by writers that I really like who are dead, mm -hmm. where where I haven't read them, and I'm I'm kind of saving them in case I get a terminal diagnosis <laughs> I'll, I'll have them all there um, I hope one of them is not to sell beyond the sunset I uh, know <laughs> no no but often they're not the last book they're the last book I found yeah and I, I found a Brunner ace double where I hadn't read the one story yeah mm -hmm. and I really ha I mean Brunner wrote an awful lot but I really have read all of it oh um 
except this one. And uh, I, 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 I still haven't read it. Um, and it's, it's, it's sitting there. And I've, I've got a Keith Roberts collection that I haven't read. In, yeah. Oh. How much have you been down at the dealer's room unsuccessfully chasing old Keith Roberts collections? Very hard to find. Uh, I mean, I've read a lot of it. And I've, I've read all the later stuff. But Yeah. Did you know Old Earth Books are republishing Pavan? I did. I think that's really great. I've, re- I've agreed to edit a best of Keith Roberts for them. Oh, lovely. That's one of the reasons why I'm going around chasing old Keith Roberts well, stories. I, I, I'd be happy to lend you. Uh, I, I, I believe I have all of them, including the one I haven't read. Okay. Um, well, we, we can correspond. Yes. I would love yes. to do that. Because I, 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 I'm pretty sure... I met Keith Roberts mm. at a... a British convention when he was very old and I was sort of 22 and I had read all of his books and sort of knew them all by heart and many people found him difficult to deal with but he was lovely to (laughs) me (laughs) I know some some people who find his uh, fascination with young women in his fiction rather creepy Yes, and some of it is rather creepy yeah it, it, it is when you read it when you're grown up and you look at it, yes. but mm-hmm. it isn't when you're a teenager and you read it. You know, it's sort of, yeah. Well, also, I mean, also, I mean you, you encounter something like Anita for the first time. Yes. And it's just delightful. Yes. Uh, the, the book that I always felt was never appreciated properly was Grania. Yeah. Which I, you know, it was a book that I came out, I thought was brilliant. Yeah. And nobody ever nobody. talked about yeah, fell no, off the critical rate. Yeah, you, I, 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 I've written about Molly Zero, yeah. which I think is a really excellent book mm-hmm. of his that nobody's read and yeah. nobody paid any attention to. And he used to joke that he he he'd changed his name to uh, author of Pavan <laughs> uh, because that was the only, you know, it was a book that had traction. Somehow. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> yeah. But no, he he had some very strange ideas about muses and mm, he did uh, the natural history of the prim- primitive heroine. That's right, and where where characters come from and that kind. Of, he was fascinating to talk to about that, mm. um, and and the idea of the the character being prepared to play different parts, the the Katie mm-hmm. uh, yes. idea, which which is very strange, yeah. but but interesting. It, yes. His work was all well. All everything that I read was always very interesting and engaging. He he read a terrific historical novel called the uh, White Boat, Lost White Boat, something like that. Um, yep. I, I've I've got it, uh, but I don't. I'm very bad on remembering titles yeah. exactly. Um, but it's a really excellent book about the end of Roman Britain. Mm-hmm. Uh, a straight historical, no. Yeah. Magic at all. And it was published as a straight historical. As far as I know, they sold four copies of it through <laughs> yeah. the rest away. You know, I've, I've never met anybody who's, well, who's I mean, read it. Given that he was very, he was quite prolific. Yeah. Uh, apart from Pavan, his entire career might as well not have happened. I know. It, no, it's completely off the radar. It's terrible, isn't it? Yeah. It's it's sad when you think about. I that, mean, it's nice that this big Golan's electronic thing that uh, Malcolm yes. Edwards is doing is going to bring a lot of this stuff back. I, yes. I saw Keith Roberts' name on the list. Good. And it is supposed to be, when they do it, everything. Wonderful. You know, And so that's very, a very appealing idea that yeah. you can once again discover this stuff. And I, I think it's, it's great that small presses are doing this kind of mm. thing. I mean, if you're doing a collection, which I, I haven't heard, that's, that, that's terrific. Mm. You know, he's a writer where you really could put together a best of. Mm. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> but, you know... <coughs> it's hay fever. Well, oh, it's that time of year. Uh, one of the things that's awkward about uh, the, we've talked about this before, and we've we've, we've been slapped down for it. But uh, putting something, making something available in electronic format is wonderful if you know what to look for. That's yeah. right. That's different from putting it on a shelf where you see this book by somebody you've never heard of, whose name is Keith Roberts, and it looks interesting, and you're full. Yeah. So, so that kind of. I always wonder if. Uh, it's, it's wonderful that all these things are, are coming back into print, even if it's e-print. I'm still wondering uh, how people get to them. Well, we, we were talking about canon and, and canon formers. Mm-hmm. Th- there are people who are choice formers, and I, I wonder if one of the future roles in, in changing publishing is, is people like us I online so. talking about books. Yes, I'm sure. Um, the, the, they talk about having DVD extras mm. with e-books, yeah. And if the, the, the DVD extras are, are people who have mm. names writing introductions and that kind of thing. 
Well, um, I mean, if, if, if there, yeah, if there are three of our listeners who are going to look for Keith Roberts now after this discussion, that's we've right. done our job. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and and the, the, that's where really when I read about books like that, and pe- people mm-hmm. do, and sometimes I'll get a a comment on a post that's months old. And they'll say, I got hold of this book and I read it and you were absolutely right, it was great and mm. that kind of thing. And and I don't care if this is only three people. This is yes. this is yeah. this is what I'm doing it for, yeah. you know. Well yeah. to to give those books another chance. That's right. So that they don't disappear forever and are never read again or thought about again. Uh, and to share the experience you had when you encountered books well, books like Anita which yes. really has the potential to be a vastly popular book, I think. It's very charming and engaging yes. and that kind of thing. Much as, in a different way, a much drier uh, way, as a Sterling Lanier's Brigadier Fellows stories. Mm-hmm. I always felt, I was always surprised when I found after the fact they'd barely been read. Yes, that's, that's very strange. Especially when you read a book that's important to you. Yes. And you just assume that yes. everybody will have read that yeah. it, uh-huh. it will be a classic and then you you mention it and, and nobody's heard of it uh, and blankly like that's that. right yeah. yeah yeah and then there are books which p- people pr- pl- plainly want to be more popular I mean uh, I always think about Bridge of Birds yes which is a fabulous book it's well known mm. in the field yes not very well known outside the field particularly I don't think and you know it w- goes out of print it disappears uh, I think it was Subterranean brought it back a year mm-hmm. or two ago yeah. or at least I don't think it was they certainly brought it back in an omnibus, and there was a uh, second. That was a, that was an omnibus put out by a bookshop. Oh, a bookshop! A few years ago, because I, I yeah, yeah the, it, um, some SF bookshop put out an omnibus of all three of them because I yeah. bought it for my son yeah. because he'd, he'd read my copies and really liked yeah. it, and yeah. that it wasn't possible to buy them. But there's a different Subterranean did one last year, I think, yeah. or the year before. Yeah. yeah. So no, it obviously doesn't stay in print. It doesn't make any money. No, no. Um, which is strange, yeah. Because I mean, that's a charming book. That's that that is the kind of book that you would think everybody would want to read. Yeah. And people who don't read fantasy <clears throat> would like. I was also surprised mm-hmm. that Tea with the Black Dragon was out of print for a long time. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I, mean, I remember reading it when it first came out and being thoroughly delighted by yeah. it. As we, I, I read it because it was Hugo nominated. Yeah, and you know, without ever having heard of it, yeah. and um, beautiful book. And she has a new novel now. I gather. Yes, I heard that. Yes. I haven't read it. I've, I've got it at home. I haven't read it either. So speaking of Hugo nominees, not to, to preempt the post, which is eight weeks away, or seven weeks away? I'm stopping in 2000. That's what, what, oh, what are we, okay. are you 1996? I, I, I've written Four. up to, yeah, I forget. I've written up to 98. 98. But, but I did, there's one that will be out this Sunday, which yeah. I think is 97. And there's one that will be out the Sunday after, because I'm guest of honour in PyCon, so I'm not going home in yeah. between. And that one is 98. Um, so there's only there's only actually going to be another like five weeks of Hugo posts and then we're done. So have the Hugos got it right more often than not? Yes. Hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, as a set of nominees, yes, they've got it right more often than not, which I think is more important than the winners. I agree about that completely. Um, I, I think I think it's possible to say not not every year by any means. I mean, there, and there are. You know, huge things that got left out, and there are years, those ones in the eighties, where there were all these bad books by mm. elderly, <clears throat> beloved authors yes. being nominated, and right. that kind of thing. And it was such a relief when they stopped doing that. So there, there, there were bad years in there, but generally looking at it from nineteen fifty three to two thousand, I think they do a fairly good job of getting five books that we're still talking about, five books that are still worth talking about, mm. worth looking up. Yeah. I mean, th- there are certainly exceptions, but on the whole, that's my feeling. And do you think that they get it a- any more right or more wrong as time has gone on from 1953 to today? No. Nope. Not been, really. The, the rough rule of thumb holds. Well, I think it's it's much easier <clears throat> to have proper perspective when we're talking about the 60s and the of 70s course. than than it is talking about now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm talking about the 90s and and mm. it's just too close but so it's it's just really hard to tell but yeah. my feeling is no uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I find myself and I understand why you're stopping with it mm. I'm still arguing with the 2000s ballots yeah well I think I'm going to stop with the year 2000 yeah and there's two reasons for that one is that it's a pleasantly round number mm-hmm. 
And the other one is that I was Campbell nominated for the first time in 2001. Yeah. And I can't talk about myself in the context no. of the field. It would no. just be unethical and also stupid. Yeah. And um, I, I just couldn't do it. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it would be wrong. Mm. Um, and also, I think the closer we come, the less perspective we've got. And the less use my metrics are of, of whether it's in print and whether it's in the library. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which I've been doing, you know, yeah, for right. all these books all the way back. Right. But they are—they're much less use when you're talking about a 1998 book than when you're yes. talking about a 1968 book. If a 1968 book is imprinted in the library, that's saying something. Yeah, exactly. But, Whereas but, but, a 98 one—they—they they won't have thrown that out of the library anyway. And it's um, a 2005 book. Well, exactly. And no, it's—it's it's just too close, and we don't yeah. have perspective. But. But but I think generally, for the last decade as well, the the five more interesting books. No, no, actually that's not true. That the, there are always exceptions. Mm. There are always there are times like, like with Permutation City. You know, Permutation City mm. was clearly the best book of the year, mm. or, or or at any rate, clearly one of the most exciting books mm. of the year. Oh, yeah. And and it really should have been on that list, and and yeah. you know, and and sometimes you do get very dull sequels yes. mm. that are Hugo nominated, and I I think the, the the piece of advice that I would give to people with with nominating for the Hugos is don't nominate something without having read it because people nominate things because they mm. like yes. other things by that writer yes. and they haven't had time to read it and they're in hardback and they're nominating and they. They'll nominate a book and it'll be on there because they've liked something else. Or that because they want to, because of fans that want to be, they want to give a small present to my favorite writer. If I'm, so I'm going to nominate uh, this thing for the Hugo, whether I've read it or not. Uh, and, and generally, writers that I've talked to for whom that happens don't appreciate it because well, no, because they're being yes. treated as celebrities rather than writers. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I actually. Somebody told me that they nominated Farthing for Hugo without mm. having read it, and I was furious with them. Yeah. A friend of mine, yeah. and I, I, I was, I was, I was absolutely furious. Um, it just made me really angry. Um, yeah. But then, I mean, the two things are: I mean, don't nominate stuff you haven't read. Yeah. But don't be afraid to nominate stuff you have read, just yeah. because you haven't read other stuff. Oh, that's right. Don't feel you have to read everything in the world. Yes. Because who can? Yeah. Yeah, but if if you read six new books last year and you thought the two of them were brill yeah. nominate yeah. those two yeah. I'm, you know, and, and, and what, what I try to argue with people is that the system works if you do that and 2,000 other people do that that's right and then we all get a, a thing and we can sit but, there and... uh, have you heard it, it, I think this is wonderful we, we had a record Hugo yeah. vote this yeah. year yes. Yes. 2,100 people yes. voted um, which I think is, is excellent you know that so many people care to vote it, it's still a tiny number well, I mean, when we were talking about okay. this, the, the National Public Radio Survey, that, oh. uh, there was yeah. sixty thousand people voting <clears throat> on it, and as I say, the larger the base of the larger the vote, the more predictable the result. Uh, so, of course, Lord of the Rings is going to come out. Uh, well, you know, I, I had no problem with Lord of the Rings being a number one. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did have a real problem with the cut to walk through walls being on that list at all. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and I love Heinlein. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. But but the Cutter Walks Through Walls is not one of the hundred best novels. No. It's not even one of the Heinlein's hundred best novels. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true. You know, no, no, it is a bad book. Yes, yes. it is. And, and it should not have been on that list. And, the, and there are a lot of really excellent books that were not on yes, that list. Yes, very true. And it's not just that it's not my canonical hundred books. It, it, it's, it's just a silly thing. I don't understand how that happened, really. It's the kind of thing that gets done, I guess, as a talking point. Yes. And that's fair enough. But but it's going around as a meme where people are are bolding the ones they've read and and, and doing that. And and yes, it is a talking point. But it it could have been a better talking point. I think the bit where 60,000 people participated or whatever it was, you could nominate up to five things. And... Somebody whittled down a million nominations to a hundred. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm not sure that they made the right choices when they did that. I think, I think yeah. you're right. And the other thing that occurs to me is something that happened in this year's Hugo ballot. Right. Uh, and and I, I think it's par- possibly a problem caused by, well, in fact, digital publishing to some degree. Mm-hmm. And that is the in the short fiction category where only four short stories got nominated. Yes. 
Yes. And the fact that it was because... The, the None of them got 5% of the vote. Yeah, yeah. That's right. And yeah. I, I wonder if we're going to see more and more of that. Of, yes. Of sparsely read books uh, or stories appearing on ballots because there's such a broad spectrum of stuff being read and there's no... You begin to lose the sense of a consensus. I mean, in 1958, yeah. you know, everybody had read the book. Yes. In, 19, in 2008, it was less likely and now even less so. Well, one of the things... I hadn't thought about at all, or that I hadn't realised at all before I did the Hugo series, was that novellas are my favourite thing. Yeah. Um, novellas, year after year, are my favourite category. Mm. They're, they're, almost every year, mm. there are five wonderful yeah. novellas. You know, and, and I hadn't realised that I loved novellas <laughs> so much. I, but we, we could spend a whole hour on that. I know since we, we are at a world <clears throat> con and You've got a panel to go to. This is the truth. You've got a panel to go to. You need to run away. Okay. Well, okay. On that happy note, then maybe we'll say thank you very much. We appreciate you coming up. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Let's do it again. Bye.